0: For our newcomers, or if you're visiting us, welcome, my name is Jay, um, I've been in this community for like, well I guess depending on, on where you start counting, but I'll start counting at UBF, so about nine years, and I get to share today's message. So um, it's really great that we sang songs about God's name and how, how our focus should up should be on Him and as Babaka was talking about, um, does the world know God, right? And I would challenge us to, and as Christians and people who proclaim followership of Jesus, do we know God? And so, you know, if you've been walking with us throughout uh, Josh's sermon series, and if you're new, just to get you caught up, we've been working through this idea of um, Jesus's strong commandments and the summation of the commandments, which is, number one, Josh, you know this, I'll do number two. Number one, how does he sum up the commandments? What is the first and greatest? Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, someone, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says the second is like the first. which And we've been working through this idea that um, it might not actually be this um, common notion that you do first and it trickles down to the other, but the two are actually interplaying with one another, which is that loving your neighbor is a way of loving God with all your soul, strength, and mind. So we've been working through that. And I just want to ask you guys, have you been challenged? Like, is this challenging? Like, is this actually really hard? Because if it isn't, as I was working with Josh, if it isn't, you could probably go to heaven now. <laughs> Me, though, like, it's been really hard. It's been really hard to kind of look into my life. Does that reflect the way Jesus would have us live our lives? Um, and I don't know how you guys troubleshoot, like, whenever you guys absorb a sermon or absorb a message. Like, how do you how do you engage with that? I'll, t- I'll tell you how I do it. Um, Usually, like I'll walk, I'll go on a long walk, and I'll be like, "Yeah, why am I not? Why does that not sound like it's reflective of my life?" And I'll like keep going back and back. Like, what is the first principle, or what's the first thing that I'm struggling with? Like, it might be the commandment itself. Maybe I don't really believe it, or maybe I have some way of rationalizing why that's not what Jesus might have meant. I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of the way I work through it. So, why don't we take about twenty five seconds? And meditate on like those two commandments for a bit, and then we'll go from there. Just give us some quiet time. Okay, that was about 30 seconds, so here's what I got to. Um, I think belief and behavior are linked. Like, If you struggle behaving a certain way, it might be because A, you don't fully believe the thing that someone, the proposition that someone is giving you, or B, you have a wrong belief in substitute of a proper belief. It goes those two ways. So my question is, if we're struggling with what Jesus is saying, are we 100% sold out To following and loving God. The way he would have us love him. And what I got to is, do I have idols? Do I have something in place of God that's currently blocking? You know, we talked about blockages in our heart and in our minds. Is there something that I've put in the place of God? So, what I'm going to do is we're going to do a brief survey. Like, I'm not trying to boil the ocean today. Idolatry is a very big topic in the Bible. But we'll give it kind of like, we'll survey it for a bit. So, if you've studied idolatry... Actually, let's do this. When you guys think of idols, what do you think about? I'll tell you what I think about. And points for you, if, if you know any of these. I think about the Old Testament and the, the, the carved images or the carved like statues. Um, a couple of names, if you've been doing the Old tes- studying the Old Testament, is Asherah. Sound familiar? You know Asherah and the Asherah poles. Moloch, the god of child sacrifice. Baal, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, and then you got the derivatives, you got Baal Peor, Baal Barith, you got the golden golden calf, Tammuz, Dagon, sound familiar? So these are the idols of the Old Testament, and if you want to turn in your Bible to Psalm 135, verse 15 to 18, um, it's a really good summation of what an idol is, so... The idols of nations are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, so will all who trust in them. So, there's this idea in the Old Testament that an idol is something that you could fashion for yourself. Usually something that's tangible. And, you know, like Babako was saying, there's still idols in the world, right? Like you could see like altars, you could see... Um, all these images, these actual things that people craft. So, but if you look at the New Testament, the language kind of changes a bit. Like, you don't actually hear as many. You still hear hear about, like, the Roman gods, but you don't hear as many or as, as many variants of the different ones in the Old Testament. Instead, what you have is something like in Colossians 3. So, Paul speaks and he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these the wrath of God is coming. And so, if you were to just kind of go off an Old Testament lens, you would be tempted to think, well, if I'm not carving anything, then I'm not committing idolatry, but Paul actually expands the definition of idolatry into things that are intangible. Um, And depending on how you read that verse, you could say greed, which is idolatry, or you could read it... (coughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which are idolatry. So either way, he's expanding the definition of what idolatry is into something that's intangible. Um so if I had to, or you know, if, if we were to kind of think about idolatry, I think you could simply define it as idolatry is anything that wit, is anything that takes the rightful position of God. Right? So if you hold God here and you put something above God whether that's your sin, whether that's wealth, whether that's a carving or a golden calf, if you put it here, you're committing idolatry. So that's kind of like a broad-based survey. But I'm not going to linger in the big picture of idolatry. Instead, I'm going to focus us on something. I don't think it's new to me, but I've I've given it a name. I call it Idolatry Light, L-I-T-E, or Soft Idolatry. Um, And I think this is something that I do. Um, and as Josh has been getting us to, to, to work through, like, uh, we've been working through this idea of you know, taking the log out of our own eye and before we try to spec, take the spec out of someone else's. And my dad has this like, dad joke. You guys have probably heard it, but he says that like, whenever you point the thing, finger at someone else, you've got three pointing back at you. I think that that's a good lens to, to kind of share. So I, I do this. I've recognized this in me. Maybe you guys will resonate with it. Um, So my question is, we know what idolatry is, we know that it's putting anything in the rightful position of God, but do we know what soft idolatry is? Which I think is a little bit more insidious, it kind of creeps up on you. Um, So here's my question, is it possible, is it possible to be trying to follow God and yet still be committing idolatry? And so what this concept of soft idolatry is, is worshipping our idea of God, rather than God. And that's that's really dangerous because it's like if your intent is probably sincere but if it's your idea of God and you're doubling down on it and God is telling you otherwise that's not me that's still idolatry just by a different name. So that gets us to the passage today. So if you want to turn your Bibles into Matthew 16 and we're going to work off of verse 13 to 28. Okay, so read with me. (laughs) So, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So, do you guys see what happened there? Like in, in verse 13 to 17, Jesus asks his disciples, who are people saying I am? And then they're like, well, some say you're this, like you're Elijah, maybe Jeremiah, you're a prophet. And then Jesus actually asks them, what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And Peter, this guy who's been following Jesus around, physical Jesus, following him around for a while now, who do you say I am? And Peter gets it right. He gets a confession right. He's like, you're the Christ. And Jesus actually blesses him. He says, you know, let's go back to that. I I don't want to botch this. So He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So th- that confession that Peter made is divine in nature, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So some people say Peter is like the rock, but like actually in context, it's more that on this confession, this is the rock that I will build my church on, on this confession of who Jesus is. So the disciples get it right. They got, they got it right. And I would submit to you that us Christians often get the proposition of who Jesus is correct. Right? He's the Son of God. He came for our sins. He's our Redeemer. We get that correct. But then you turn 11 verses later, and then it's Peter again, now rebuking Jesus after Jesus talks to him about his suffering and what he must go through. Peter rebukes him, and he goes, far be it from you, Lord this shall never happen to you and then Jesus says get behind me satan you're a hindrance to me what happened it's only 11 verses apart right they get it right and then Jesus is saying get behind me satan what what happened there right so i would submit to you guys that it is very possible to get our confession of who god is correct with Jesus co-signing on it but we can still get the right answer and the right articulation and still have the wrong idea of God. And I think that that's what happened with Peter. Let me tell you why. Um, we were talking in prayer today about all the multiple ways by which God relates to us, right? Like we talk about God as a father. We talk about God as a lover. Um, and all the different ways of how he relates to us. And you know, for, for those of us who are married or dating or if you've had a romantic relationship before, there is this idea that you could fall in love with the idea of a person rather than engaging with the person themselves, and I think we do that with God a lot. Um, and for Peter and Jesus, they they were close together. You know, they've been walking together. But I would submit to you that Peter also got this wrong, and you could do this with your friends too, um, where you get the wrong idea of them rather than actually engaging with them. So, how do we how how do we actually do this with God? Uh, let me flesh flesh out a couple of things we see in the passage. So. Number one, this can happen to us, soft idolatry can happen to us if we fashion a God from our political beliefs, expectations, and our own context, right? So if you look at what was happening with Peter, why did he have such trouble when Jesus said, I have to suffer, right? The elders are going to do this to me. The chiefs are going to do this to me. Why did Peter have such trouble with that? I would would tell you guys that, well... He was functioning off his context, right? Like if, if you were a Jew in his context, um, they had this idea of the Christ being a triumphant victorious figure, right? Someone who might liberate them from the Romans. We, we all know what happens with Jesus and in his in his life and, and the cross. So that didn't happen, right? But that's the context and political expectation that Peter was functioning off of, right? And he put that over who Jesus was. Is Right? He put his expectations over this. Jesus is telling him, I have to suffer. This is my future. This is what I'm going to do. And Peter's like, no, 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 that can't be true because here's my expectation. So that's number one, right? We make a God out of our political beliefs and our expectations in our own unique context. Number two, we fashion a God from what we value. So right, rather than what God values. This happens a lot. I'll, I'll, t- I'll give you guys a personal example. I love this story. Um, you know, when I was courting Emily, that's my wife, um, when we were dating, and even in our marriage, I had this view <coughs> of things that were, like, really attractive about me. <laughs> <laughs> All right? No, this is, good. this is good. You can laugh. It's fine. <laughs> and then, you know, you date, you, you, you keep it to yourself, and then you get married. And then once you get married, and she can't back out, you're like, all right, love. What did you find attractive about me? And I have like this list of like, it has to be this. So one of the things I thought was like, I play music. That's got to be attractive, right? Like, it's all in Hollywood. Like, that's got to be a thing that gets me points. And then I, I tell Emily to work through her list. She goes like, oh, I like this. I like that. And she gets into like number five. I'm like, music is not anywhere there. So I'm like, what about the fact that I played Music Club? And she's like, oh, I don't care about that. <laughs> Doesn't even move the needle. I'm like, not even a little bit. Um I think I might have been talking with like Josh and, and Leanne, both are musicians, by the way. I think I think you mentioned like You write all these songs and like Wayne just goes over his head, same thing. I was like expecting him to be like, oh my gosh I love your songs, but I don't think he'd ask to hear one of them ever. I was like, okay I have some other fans. Yeah, yeah. I was was playing music for Bodhika and I was like, I I stumbled through it a little bit, I'm like, oh shoot sorry, and she's like, babe. I don't have a musical ear. <laughs> if you didn't say anything, I would never even know that you made a mistake. And I'm like, why don't dress try someone? I enjoy your voice, you know. Okay, there you go. Yeah. You undervalue that. So, I w- again, I would submit to you that this happens with us in our relationship to to God. Like we try to fashion a God from what we value, right? But what about what God values? So, like in this passage. Peter was overvaluing strength grounded in political power. It's like, man, like you're supposed to be triumphant. That's what we value. You're going to liberate us from the Romans, right? And Jesus is thinking about like what his father wants. He values power, uh, strength, but a different kind of strength. Strength in sacrifice, right? Peter's thinking about the liberation of the Jews and God, uh, Jesus is thinking about the liberation of humanity. It's not even close. Um. So that's that's an interesting thing too, and you know what's interesting, and I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a tangent here, but um, in in this preparation, I was talking to Josh about this idea that like Peter is interacting with God, and in some translations, like in my translation, the ESV, he says, "Far be it from you, Lord, that you would suffer." Josh, in your translation, it says, "God forbid," and he's interacting with God, and he's saying, "God forbid." No, you're not going to go through that. God forbid. So, why do you think Jesus' reaction was so strong? Like, get behind me, Satan. I think that there's a dynamic there where it's like, Peter, again, he keeps putting his expectations here when he's interacting with God himself. Like, the Son of God, right in front of him. And he's saying, God forbid. There's something about that. Right? So, the third way I think that we... We can get trapped into this idea of soft idolatry is we often make a god out of our own performance. Performance as it relates to morality, right? Like God gave us His moral law. I w- I think the moral law is a great thing, and and I think that us following it does prevent a lot of harm and all that. But we can get trapped into this idea of like, how am I performing relative to 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 the moral law? And generally in the in Jewish tradition. Um, being on the right side of morality does prevent suffering. That is wisdom. That is, that's actually a wise thing. You see that in Job, right? When his friends tell him that, like, well, if you didn't commit anything bad, why are you suffering? Because they had this wisdom tradition of, generally, doing good prevents harm, and being on the right side of morality generally means you are blessed. Those are all true. But, I think Jesus had a lot of dissonance with his belief about Jesus being the Messiah because, like, If you're the Messiah, you're the perfect one, why are you going to suffer? Like, those things seem incongruent, right? But Jesus came here to fulfill the law, which is very different from performing against the law. He's a fulfillment of the law, right? So, right. So I just want to ask us at this point to, like, reflect a little bit. Do we do that? Do we do those three things? Do we fashion a God from our political beliefs, expectations, and context— Do we fashion a God from what we value versus what God values? Or do we often make a God out of our own performance rather than trusting in Christ? I think that that, those three things are like what get us to this idea of soft idolatry. So just in closing, because I'm I'm going to wrap this up. um, Did you know that the first commandment, I know we we talked about um, Jesus's summation of the first uh, of, of the Ten Commandments into two. But we're actually going to go to Exodus to, to, look at, um, <coughs> to look at the original first two commandments, which is interesting. So let's go to Exodus 20. So the first commandment um, that, that God says is, You shall have no other gods before me. But then the second commandment he gives right, right next to it is very linked. He goes, So that's interesting because I would have thought that the second commandment was already covered in the first, right? Like the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. But then God thought it was necessary to have a second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. So why is the second commandment so linked to the first? Or like it's not just that you shall have no other gods before me. It's this idea of, like, you will not make anything in the image or likeness of me, right? Um, so, the first thesis of this kind of sharing was that belief and behavior are linked. If we struggle behaving a certain way, it might be because we don't fully believe or that we have the wrong belief. We've put something in place of God. So, again, it goes back to the question, why is it so hard to do some of the things that Jesus asked us to do, which is to love love the Lord with all our strength, soul, and mind, but also to love our neighbor and ourselves. Maybe we don't really believe it's what God asks of us. Maybe we don't really believe it's what He truly meant because we have expectations. But what if He did mean it 100%? What if that's what He values? And what if that's what He's asking of us? Would we just double down on our idea of Him? Would we try to rationalize and try to fit Him in our neat box? Or would we actually engage with him and walk with him for who he said he is and what he is saying to us, regardless of how challenging it is? And I think getting this right could be the difference between idolatry and true worship. Now, that's how I'm gonna close it, actually. I don't actually have an answer. I was telling Josh, I'm, I'm always tempted when I share it to like give an answer of how we can resolve this. But I actually think that this is an ongoing conversation both individually and as a church, that we've struggled with this. So I'm I'm not going to resolve it because I don't actually have the keys to resolve it. But what I will do is I will open it up for discussion.